Hey everybody, Dan here, welcoming you to another episode of Old School Saturday. This is the Be Kind Rewind, your Disney movie podcast throwback show. Today we are going into the vaults to get an episode <clears throat> where myself and friend of the show, Scott Gardner, sat down and actually discussed the um, Disneyland USA special that may still be available somewhere. So, I hope that you enjoy it, and we will talk to you next week with a brand new episode. Walt Disney's Disneyland. When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. Each week as you enter this timeless land, one of these many worlds will open to you. Welcome everyone to another exciting episode of Be Kind Rewind. This is your Disney movie podcast. I am, of course, Dan Teets. And joining me tonight, our historical expert on all things Disneyland, Scott H. Gardner. Oh, <laughs> oh you, can't, you can't say that. <laughs> it's too that late. That is not true. <laughs> I looked it up on your Wikipedia. Uh, it says that. <laughs> so it has to be true if it's on the well, Wikipedia. I, <laughs> well, I appreciate that, but no, I, <laughs> that is uh, that is a much bigger buildup than I deserve. But no, just uh, I would say just a, a big old Disneyland fan, big old Disneyland enthusiast. Hey, there is nothing wrong with being an, an enthusiast, <laughs> because as we mentioned in last week's episode, you know more than I do because I know nothing except what I've learned from these movies and TV, TV shows that we've been watching. So it's one of those deals. I'm very curious what uh, what you thought of this particular film. You mean Disneyland USA? Yes. <laughs> we are just going to dive right on into it. I actually liked it. I was... Taken with the fact that they started it almost the exact same way as the first episode of with the flyover, but it actually brought it in and showed you all the different parks. And I mean, if this if this is the way that Disneyland still is, I would be all for going and spending several hours there. Since you said last week that it's not one of those places where you could well you could spend days, but you probably end up going to what is it california adventures isn't that the other disney park yeah yeah that's the other disney park and then of course you know there's a lot of other things in the area you know it's it's very centrally located um you know in california for you know if you wanted to go and do you know the the some of the other of the really big you know california touristy things not that i have but i mean i know that it's it's fairly close to you know hollywood and you know la and that sort of thing but yeah, yeah it's funny um you know that you say you know if it, if it looks still this way it, it does and it doesn't that that's kind of the charm of it <laughs> you know th this film is uh you know this was produced in in shot in uh, 1956 so it's pretty old i mean it's you know, the park is just barely open because, you know, it opened in July of 55. So the park had not been opened very long. Mm -hmm. And I love this film because it's just it's a wonderful snapshot of the park at a particular magical moment in time just before the first major refurbishment. So this is kind of like 
not only is it vintage Disneyland, this is like purest Disneyland, if you know what I mean. This mm-hmm. is like the park in its in its pure form right as it first opened, you know, before big things started to happen and, you know, the first major changes started to happen. So, you know, there is a lot of stuff in this film that doesn't exist anymore. You know, there's a lot of areas that have, you know, had major refurbishments and, you know, things have come, things have gone, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's funny, there was a there was a um, an article, it's about two and a half years ago now because I looked it up, um, with Raleigh Crump, who's one of the classic Imagineers, you know, worked on a lot of great stuff for uh, for Disney over the years, and including a number of attractions like the Haunted Mansion and Small World and things like that. Had a hand in the '64 World's Fair, and he gave this interview, and it was kind of heartbreaking at the end of it. You know, he was asked, you know, if he still goes to Disneyland since he had such an active role in forming Disneyland. And he his his answer was was very dour, and I, I don't have the exact quote in front of you. But essentially, he said no, he doesn't go to the park anymore because mm. basically the park is gone. And while I have nothing but the us, utmost respect for Wally Crump, I, I think he's one of the greatest Imagineers. Um, I have to disagree with him. I you know I, I think that to a certain respect he's he's kind of being a a grumpy old man about the situation because i think that's one of the magical things about disneyland even as it is today you know 60 some years since the filming of of this movie and you know since the park opened that in a lot of ways despite the fact that you know things have come and gone and there have been major refurbishments and that sort of thing in so many ways, it, it still is very close to what we see, you know, in this film, and that I think that's one of the the beauties of it. Well, that actually, you you brought up a good point right there. You said that this was right before the first refurbishment. So, I mm-hmm. mean, what was that refurbishment? I guess would be my first question. What so, do, what do they do? Um, I, I'm assuming you've seen the the. Um, I'm trying to remember what it's called. Dateline Disneyland. It's a it's an episode of the Disneyland TV show. It's the opening of the park. Have you seen that? It's it's hosted by um oh gosh, now my, my mind's gonna complete Art Art Linkletter. Art Linkletter hosts it and he's got a couple of assistants, including uh Ronnie Reagan, you know, <laughs> President Reagan, long before he ever got into politics. Um, if you've ever seen that, that was like the big kickoff of Disneyland. It was a live broadcast of the opening in Disneyland on, on July 17th, 1955. Mm-hmm. Well, four years later, they had another episode of the Disneyland TV show called Disneyland 59, which was done almost the same way, almost the same spectacle. It was almost like another opening uh, day all over again. Um, the deal with that one was that uh, three new attractions uh, opened in the park that greatly changed the the face of Disneyland uh, ir- irrevocably. Really, um, you had the Matterhorn Mountain, okay. uh, which opened in Fantasyland, which you know is still there today and is a major landmark of Disneyland and and actually of that whole area of Anaheim. You can see it for quite a, a distance away. Um, the Submarine Voyage which today it's still there it's come back today it's the the it's finding nemo themed but it's still there and mm-hmm. you know that was a large refurbishment of that area and of course the monorail uh which again is still there and still runs and actually uh was expanded to serve a purpose you know going 
to you know downtown Disney and um, um, the Disneyland Hotel and such. So those three things all opened in 59. And so Walt, you know, who was a master of self-promotion, decided, hey, why don't we do another opening special like we did when the park first opened and do it all over again. And he brought back Art Linkletter and they had another big to do. And it was this special episode, Disneyland 59. And that's that was like the first big refurbishment where, you know, a, a lot of stuff was added, not so much taken away as that you know, a lot of stuff was added. Um, but it did, of course, you know, change the, the face of the park. All of that is, you know, in the future of this. So I don't on a quick recollection, I actually have the movie playing while we're talking, but on a quick recollection, I don't think you even see any of the construction or anything for that. So it may not even be, have begun yet when this was filmed. Um, off the top of my head, as as you watch this film, and it's it you know it's gloriously shot in you know in widescreen. It's it's beautiful. I mean, the colors really pop. I mean, it really holds up well for such an old film. Um, I don't think there's any construction anywhere that off the off the top of my head. I, I think everything you see is you know in more or less a finished state and everything. So that you know that's also pretty special because that's pretty rare for any disney park where there's not something going on you know there's a construction wall or a yeah. pile of dirt or something somewhere but and a uh, big sign saying it. coming in three years something that you don't need to know about right <laughs> exactly well the all right the at the very beginning after the flyover shot the narrator says that it's built on 200 acres which not a lot of land and especially when you're no. talking about right Right next door to L.A., you could probably see the Hollywood sign from there. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> no, I, I don't think so, but no, I mean. <laughs> but, I mean, the I've actually seen lots here in Georgia that are 200 acres. And I'm like, that's not, I mean, I'm sure Ted Turner owns several million 200 acre lots out in like Montana or someplace like that. Because he owns about three quarters <laughs> well, of the state. One of the things, you know, one of the little fun facts we used to love to spout, you know, when I worked at Walt Disney World was the fact that the parking lot at Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World is bigger than the entire park of Disneyland. Okay. Um, so it is rather small and it's striking, even if you're prepared for it or think you're prepared for it, going to Disneyland for the first time, because that's the, th that's the thing everybody will warn you when you go. Especially, you know, again, if you're more familiar with Walt Disney World, you know, if you, you know, like, say you grew up with it or you're just, you know, you're versed on Walt Disney World, you you go out to Disneyland for the first time. That's the thing everybody warns you about is, oh, it's so much smaller, so much smaller. And I thought I was prepared for that, and I was not. I mean, it really is tiny. And I think one of the big reasons I wasn't prepared for how small it was was, again, this film which because of the, the wonderful way it's shot, and I'm trying to remember what the film, um, the, the process, I want to say it's Panavision, I think. Hmm. Um, it's shot in Technicolor, but it was a special type of uh, photography as well. Um, but it's very widescreen. I want to say it's Panavision, but I could be wrong. Um, but because of the way it's shot, or Cinescope, that's what it was, uh, Cinemascope, um, it looks huge i mean it makes the park look so big and spread out and uh and that's pretty cool as well um but that's one of the things i've noticed in most 
uh, Disneyland promotion and most Disneyland films and everything is the things that are a dead giveaway of how small the park is, they tend to stay, stay clear of those mm-hmm. um, in promotional films because I've never seen a, a picture to this day, and despite there being you know millions of photographs out there, I've never seen a promotional picture or, or film of Disneyland that shows you that the signs, the entries into Adventureland and Frontierland are virtually standing right next to each other. That was something I was completely unprepared for when I went out there for the first time. Is, I mean, you can practically, you know, if you spread your arms wide, you could practically touch the two signs. They're, they're so close. And that's pretty crazy to me, you know, when they're so spread out, again, like at Walt Disney World. But uh, it is a very small park. Um, but again, that that adds to its charm and everything. But you'd never know it from this video. You, you'd really never know it. it. It just looks ginormous and very spread out, and it's it's kind of magical the way the movie uh, does that. Yeah, and the yeah. and the fact that there is a lot of automobiles and modes of transportation other than the rail the railroad that actually goes uh, it does go around the park. Am I right? The railroad, yes. yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that that railroad. I mean, that was that was kind of the whole uh, genesis of the park to begin with. Was that Walt was you know a railroad nut. You know, he loved uh, trains. He had his own uh, model train set that ran you know through his backyard and through his wife's rose garden, much to her chagrin and everything. <laughs> and it was playing with that model train and, and having such a love and passion for trains that eventually led to him building. Disneyland because it started as an idea of you know a small little park across the street from the studio you know where he could you know run a train and then it just grew and grew and grew and grew to eventually you know Disneyland which you know of course does you know have full size trains that uh, you know run all around the uh, the perimeter of the park and everything but it was really it was it was those it was that train you know that's why it's always funny to me you know to talk to people that you know, to go to any of the Disney parks and, you know, I'll often ask, you know, did you ride the train? Um, you know, no, no. And I'm like, you know, that's, that's such a centerpiece to the park, but people don't really think of it or, or they don't know, you know, the, the backstory. Yeah. And I mean, I actually, I have ridden the train at Disney World. So I, and that, that was what kind of sucked me in with this because it all starts it's the it's like one of the first things that you actually see in this movie is the train pulling up and and then later on it's like and we're going to jump off in just a little bit but that doesn't mean that you have to you can go to this place and I was like well yeah because they got because they have um shuttles or they got stops at each of the five distinct lands I guess is what you would call it since main street is its own land in the beginning of the of the park right and so, I mean, I was I was taken aback by the I mean, just just from my experience with Disney World, you don't ever see a car or a horse-drawn carriage or anything like that unless it's in a parade. And I'm not and since I've never been to Disneyland, I don't know is that still a thing? Can you walk on and and watch out for the um the steaming divots to pull a line from Absolutely. Pretty Woman. It, 
Uh, absolutely. That that's again part of that that classic charm of Disneyland is that they do still have those you know classic modes of transportation. Um, I, I myself have done the horse-drawn streetcar uh, around the you know around uh, you know it'll go from uh, Main Street Square to uh, the hub and back, and it it actually functions as transportation. You can take it you know and go full circle, but you can also use it to you know to be taken to the hub and and dropped off and such. Um, and they do different vehicles. There's a lot more of that at Disneyland in my experience, because it tends not to be, uh, as crowded, or at least during the times I was there, it wasn't as crowded, um, up until recently, you know, because of COVID and everything, um, main street and the hub, um, well, actually the whole park really, but magic kingdom at Walt Disney world is just so crazy busy all the time. Mm -hmm that the only time that they can do uh, some of these classic uh, vehicles, you know, the horse-drawn streetcar, the double-decker bus, um, those sorts of things, uh, the fire engine, is early, early, early. And like when the park first opens, it runs for a a short time. Um, Most guests, uh, I'm guessing, never see it because most guests on average – blow into the park somewhere around, you know, 12, 30, one o'clock or whatever, you know, they're on vacation, you know, they don't want to get up early. Um, and by that point, you know, all that stuff's been put away and it's, it's not cause the crowds just, it, it, it can't, you know, they can't manage those vehicles, especially the, the ones that are horse drawn, mm-hmm. you know, with all those people. Yeah. Um, but Disneyland, yeah. Uh, Disneyland tends to run them at least again, while I was there, uh, they seem to run them longer. And I'm trying to remember if they ran all day. I, I don't recall, but it seems like whenever I, I walked by um, Main Street or the Hub, it seemed like there was always something, you know, some sort of vehicle uh, running around, you know, during the times that I was there. But definitely they run longer and later and more of them, too. So it's so it's not just one horse-drawn trolley. You got several of them running like in a circuit. So if you miss one like 30 seconds later, another one will be, be along. Or uh, some other form of transportation. Okay. I'm not sure how many these days. I'm not sure how many horse-drawn streetcars they do. It may be more than one. I don't remember. But there were other forms of of transportation as well. So if you miss the streetcar, for example, maybe you could catch a ride with like the fire engine, which mm-hmm. I, I did that as well. Um, you know, so there's other modes of of transportation. Uh, the same kind of goes for the characters uh, these days too. You know, modern time. One of the things that's really interesting to note in this film, there are no characters. And I always get such a big kick out of the fact that, you know, Walt made such a big deal, as we saw, you know, in in the original opening Disneyland episode. And then again, that that second half of the of the episode with Walt talking about Mickey and introducing Mickey's segment was rerun again um, in that pre-opening uh, special that we talked about, you know, here Walt was making such a big deal about Mickey. And he even says, you know, the true beginnings of Disneyland, you know, come from Mickey Mouse. There's no Mickey in Disneyland USA. There's no characters really at all in Disneyland USA beyond the ones that are, you know, tied to specific attractions. But like Mickey and the gang, the, the core characters that you think of when you think of Disney are absent from this film. And there was a reason for that, which was in the beginning days. And I'm not sure how long this lasted. I think it was a couple of years. 
Um, but in the, in the early days of Disneyland, um, because nobody really believed in Walt's dream, uh, the decision was made to not include, uh, most of the classic Disney characters in Disneyland because when the park failed, they didn't <laughs> want that to affect those characters. And so it took time before whoever makes these, you know, sorts of decisions, it took time before they felt confident that, okay, this isn't, not only is it not a failure, but it's doesn't look like it's a, a flash in the pan either. And then eventually, you know, characters are brought in. And that's one of the cool things today with, with the characters is that unlike Walt Disney World, and I hear guests that have been coming to Walt Disney World for a long time lament this current day that you don't get that spontaneity of characters that you used to get in the old days. Because I, I can, and I haven't been going to Walt Disney World relatively that long. I mean, I, I caught the bug in 1999 um that was our first family trip so i mean i've only been going for you know a little over 21 years but i can remember you know in in the earliest days of when we would go to walt disney world i can remember walk around characters meaning you didn't have to go to a certain spot at a certain time of day to meet characters like they were just free roaming about the park you really don't get that anymore at walt disney world uh, because mm. of the crowd sizes and and the way that uh guest interaction with characters has changed and morphed over the years. It's just, it's a safety thing. Um, at Disneyland, you still get it. Um, you still get walk around characters and, and random encounters with characters just like the old days. And that's cool. That's, that's really neat. Now, how long ago did you actually go to Disney? One of my, one of my questions on this. Uh, let's see. First trip was in 2016, right after the, um, 60 what would that be 65th anniversary or that 60th anniversary no i think that was the 60th anniversary yeah, yeah 60th, 60th anniversary uh and then we went again two years later i think so that was 2018 yeah 2018 so yeah okay so we're we're talking relatively recent when when you when you said that you'd oh yeah been, when you said that you'd been i didn't know if you were talking like early 2000s or something like that because I mean, no. I've got I've got friends who are Disney fanatics, and they've gone to Disneyland once. And I mean, honestly, they go to Disney World every year because they got season passes, and it's that kind of deal. But right. they don't they don't ever make a big to do about going to Disneyland. So that was why I didn't know because you said you caught the bug in '99 when you and that was your first trip. Yeah, that was for that was for Walt Disney World. Yeah, we we came to to Walt Disney World in in '99, um, and yeah, that's where I I became a, a hopeless addict at that point. And then it was just you know becoming a, a serious Disney you know Walt Disney World. I, I like to say Disney Parks um, you know enthusiast um, you know, but it started of course with Walt Disney World, but, you know, just becoming an enthusiast for, for Disney parks and Disney history and everything. And, and really being fascinated by, by Walt, you know, as a person and as a futurist and everything. Um, you know, the more I learned about Disney history and especially Disney parks history, the more I just really craved going to Disneyland. I, I just, I, I had to go. It was one of those things where, uh, you know, I, I, to me, it was kind of a pilgrimage of sorts. I just had mm -hmm. to go and see it one time, you know, whether I'd be thrilled or whether I'd be disappointed. I just wanted to do it one time. 
And of course, you know, we did it the one time and, uh, and I just, you know, I caught the bug all over again and, uh, and, and couldn't wait to go back. So a couple of years later we went again and if it wasn't for the state of the world right now and, uh, and you know, all the craziness going on, uh, I, I'd probably have gone back again sometime, you know, recently because it was definitely on our list. Although my wife and I really want now, you know, our next big goal now is to get out to, uh, to Disneyland Paris. We really want to see, uh, Disneyland Paris. So eventually my goal, um, and it, it was a, it was a bigger goal, um, when I was actually, you know, working for Disney, um, which I'm hoping to get back on with mm-hmm. them at some point, not, not to go into all the craziness, but essentially, uh, my, my separation with the company was, was not by choice. It was because of COVID. Uh, you know, I was part of the, the great Disney layoff, as we like to say. So I'm hoping to get back on with them. But, um, you know, when I was a cast member, uh, as, you know, one of my cast member goals was to eventually get to visit, you know, every Disney park worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and it's still a goal, but it'd be easier to do as a cast member because we get free admission into just about all of them. Not all, not quite all of them, but just about all of them. So that was a big incentive too. So, you know, between free admission and, and, you know, hotel discounts type of thing, it would make it a little more, uh, you know, reasonable and, and yeah. doable and affordable, but. I'd still like to do it one of these days. Well, but uh, getting back to this, uh, you know, it's I just I can't help but wonder, you know, what what must this have been like to see this, you know, on the big screen in the cinema, you know, back in the 50s? Because this, you know, despite its short length, it only runs. I I think it's it's just under 42 minutes, Mm -hmm. which is really short, Um, despite it being so short. It was a theatrical release. It, it played in theaters. And I think it was on a double bill with, um, I want to say it was like Westward Ho, the wagons or something like that. It was some other Disney feature, you know, to kind of pad it out, you know, so you, you got more bang for your whatever. I was going to say buck, but it was probably like a nickel or something back then, <laughs> you know, to go to the movies, you know. But it's just that that idea of, of seeing it, you know on that giant screen, you know, in a theater must have really been something, especially mm-hmm. with it being, uh, you know, in Technicolor, because you got to remember, you know, this was five full years before like wonderful world of color, mm-hmm. uh, on TV. So, you know, unless you went to Disneyland, th- this was your only way to see, you know, Disneyland in color, you know, well before, you know, TV and everything. So it, it must've really been something. And, you know, I, I have a, a home theater set up myself and, you know, just on my size screen, uh, it was pretty impressive, you know, in, in that widescreen format. I, I can only imagine, you know, seeing it, you know, three or four times even larger than that must have really been cool. Yeah. And when we had when we actually had started talking about doing this one, you sent me a couple of links to the YouTube and you're like, no, I don't know what kind of quality they're in, but... The quality, and, and I actually took a screenshot of it, and it was pretty good quality. So whoever did it actually did things right and might have, well, I hate to say pirated or torrented it, but they might have made a copy of it and then dropped it onto YouTube for everybody to be able to watch it. Well, I, I have I have it playing silently in the background <laughs> while we're talking just to, you know, to, to familiarize myself with certain scenes and everything, and... I'm guessing by, you know, there's several 
of them, you know, several links on YouTube to the same movie uh, on there. But the ones I've checked out all seem to be about the same quality and everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing that they probably are getting this from uh, there was a Disney Treasures. And we talked a little bit about that, you know, in the last episode. Uh, but Disney Treasures was a series of, of DVDs that Disney did. This is going back a number of years. This is like... 10, 15 years ago, maybe maybe even lo- longer ago than that. But it was a special set of DVDs they did. And I think every one of them, at least every one of them I have, is, is a two-disc set. And they were released in these special clamshells, and then the clamshells came inside of a, like a tin, snapped-together metal case. You know, so they were well-protected. And there was a whole series of them. And there was one called... Um, Disneyland Secrets, Stories, and Magic. Hmm. And this film is on there. Um, and there's actually a couple, there's three different ways you can watch it, which is really cool. You can watch it um, with the, you know, just as it aired theatrically, you know, so with the narration and everything. Um, and then you can watch it again with a DVD commentary from. Um, Leonard Malton, the you know the film critic Leonard Malton, mm-hmm. and Imagineer um, Tony Baxter, which is really cool because I don't think there's anybody living that knows more about Disneyland than Tony Baxter. Um, and then uh, one of the things that I really love about that disc is the third way that you can watch it is you can watch the film and the soundtrack you can choose is just the score of the movie, the, the, um, the orchestrated music of the movie, which is really rare for really for any DVD, but especially for like a Disney DVD to, to be able to watch a film with just the score, you know, just the soundtrack. And, um, years ago when I first got this, um, I made myself a, uh, basically I did a, a rip of that soundtrack because I, I love film score music. It's one of my passions. I, I listen to a lot I was of film score music. Pre- it's pretty that. much all I listen to. <laughs> it's pretty much all I listen to, honestly. And I did a rip of this and uh, did it as, as just one continuous track, which it pretty much is in the movie. There's only a couple of moments in the movie where there is no music playing. So it plays pretty much continually for the, for the entire, you know, 40 some minute movie. Um, and that is on heavy rotation on my, you know, in my iTunes, I, I listen to it all the time. Cause it's just, it's a wonderful soundtrack. It's by, uh, uh, Oliver Wallace, who is, you know, he's a, if he's not a Disney legend, he certainly should be, but I'm pretty sure he, he is an, an actual Disney legend, but he scored a lot of Disney stuff over the years. Hmm. Um, I'm blanking on some of the actual ones he did right now. I didn't write it down as a note, but I mean, if you look him up, you'll see he's got quite the resume, but, uh, what's his name? It's Oliver wonderful. Wallace? I know he worked on like, Oliver Wallace. Yeah. I know he worked on Dumbo. Um, cause there's a number of pieces in Dumbo, but I mean, the number of themes and melodies that Oliver Wallace hits on in just 40 minutes is absolutely astounding in this. Cause I mean, there's so much, uh, classic music and, and not all of it strictly Disney. I mean, uh, when, you know, in the scenes in main street, there's a number of different, uh, like classic, like, uh, 
you know, turn of the century tunes and things that he kind of cycles through. But he cycles through a lot of, uh, of just wonderful themes and melodies and such, and, you know, different pieces all throughout this. And it's kind of fun to just listen to it and play that little game of, you know, name that tune hmm. as the themes continually change, uh, you know, to match the scene or the land or, you know, what's being uh, shown or spoken about. But it's it's a great great score. Yeah, I'm actually I'm looking at his filmography on Wikipedia, and it's he pretty much did every he had some participation in just about every Disney or every big Disney movie, I should say, because of course there aren't there isn't that much of a soundtrack on the I think it's called the Real Life Adventures, like the um, Secrets of Life, the Lion, those kind. But like every big movie, he had some touch in it up until like uh 63 and then it actually <laughs> jumps to 95 which is actually a posthumous credit for a song on operation dumbo drop oh i didn't know that it's funny some of those uh some of the true life adventures actually do have some really wonderful scores i'm trying to remember the name of the the fella that uh that i've got a number of his scores i'm, I'm blanking on his name at the moment but it's funny the last time uh that we were out um, to Disneyland, we stopped into when we were in California Adventure. We stopped into a, a place there. It's an eatery called uh, Smoke Jumpers Grill, and you walk in there, and on the walls they had a number of True Life Adventure um, theatrical posters. You know, the mm. advertising posters for the different theatrical. And I was looking at them, and I got all excited, and I was pointing them out to my wife, and I was going, oh, my gosh, look at look at that one, and look at that one over there. It's like, I have the soundtracks to those on my phone right now. And she's like, yes, of course you do. <laughs> well, now, speaking of the real-life adventures, was the gentleman who did the narration for those also the same one that did the narration for this uh, winston hibbler yes he did i don't know that he did all of them but he did a number of them um he is my you know next to arguably um oh man my brain is just not firing tonight uh there, there's a fella uh now i'm not going to remember what his name is i'm completely blanking but there's a fella that did most of the spiels and such in disneyland at least in the early days you can still hear him today um for the monorail when the you know the please stand clear of the doors when when he speaks um i'm absolutely blanking on his name right now and anybody that knows anything about disney's probably screaming at their ipod or whatever they're listening <laughs> to this on right now the, the guy's name but it's it's just escaping my brain but next to him um, Winston Hibbler is probably my favorite uh, Disney narrator. He just has there's there's a quality to his voice I really like. Um, he's very professional without being like monotone or boring. He's he's kind of whimsical without being like over the top or anything. Mm -hmm. He 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 does a wonderful like right in the middle between you know perfectly straight and and whimsical and uh, and I just I, I love his his diction and, and the way that he narrates these. And he often I have found when I pay more attention to the credits on these things that uh, more often than not, he actually writes hmm. uh, the films as well. He writes the narration that he speaks. I'm not sure if that's the case with this one. Um, I failed to look at that at the beginning of this, but, uh, but often he, he is the one that actually, uh, you know, writes the narration on these. So yeah, I, I love that guy. He, he's great. 
Yeah, and and we've actually covered, I think, all of the real-life adventures on the show. So when I heard this, I was like, okay, this is going to actually be a good episode. Because I had no clue going in what I was going to watch. But when you hear someone that you've watched seven, eight, nine, ten, however many real-life movies there are, that just sucks you in without you even realizing it, it kind of puts everything at ease and you can just sit back and relax and enjoy things. And I caught myself a couple of times having to rewind the movie so that way I could take down a note or something like that. <laughs> because I was I was just sucked in with this with this movie as well as with a lot of the other real life adventures. So it's 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 good that he's that he's the writer that does these kind of things. And I'm and I'm kind of intrigued to see if there's going to be anything going forward after the since all the real life adventures are have been covered on the show now what did you think of the true life adventures some of them were good some of them i didn't exactly understand why they were true life adventures and not put into like a compilation because like the i mean the the living desert and the vanishing prairie which were the first two and the only reason why I know the names is because I've got a list that I pulled off of Wikipedia <laughs> of all the Disney movies. Those two, I don't know if they were trying to find their footing. And then they finally got it with the African Lion, which was one of the most misnamed true life adventures because you only saw the lion for maybe 15 minutes of the entire hour and 15 or 20 minute movie. And then when it got into Secrets of Life... I was sucked back in, and that one was a pretty good one. But it was, I mean, each of them have their, I'm trying to think of what the proper term would be. They have their qualities that, that Icky and I talked about when we actually covered them, because it was kind of like you were being shown the world. My brain's going blank tonight. It's a great night for that, isn't it? <laughs> well, I... uh I had to look it up. I had to cheat because it was driving me crazy. The voice guy I was trying to think of, his name was Jack Wagner, and I cannot believe I forgot his name because I, I tell people that all the time, you know, when we're like riding the monorail. You know, when when you hear the, please stand clear, I always say, hey, that's Jack Wagner, voice of Disneyland. But I don't know. For some reason, my brain just wasn't firing tonight. But that's who that is. Uh, sadly, a lot of his, the stuff he narrated, um, and he narrated, I mean, everything for Disneyland in the in the early years. A lot of that stuff uh, is gone now because you know rides and attractions have changed, and spiels have had to be changed and stuff. But you can still, at least with the monorail, you can still hear his voice. But uh, th- there are other things. I noticed when I was out at Disneyland that uh, there are other things you can hear him. I'm just blanking on whatever the other things were. The now, film composer I was trying to think of for those uh, True Life Adventures, that's uh, Paul J. Smith. And a number of those um, True Life Adventures had uh, either a full like soundtrack album of their own or uh, like a con- there was a compilation album that I have that I, I just love because there's several different True Life Adventures all on one uh, album. And it's uh, like Beaver Valley and Bear Country and Prowlers of the Everglades and everything. And uh, mm-hmm. Paul J. Smith's another uh, just you know wonderful um, Disney composer. But his his stuff is great because it's not it's not overly Disney if you know what I mean. I mean you're not getting um, you know whimsical little you know cartoon music. It's scored to 
you know, the true life adventures. So it has a certain um, majesty to it, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. But uh, but it can be whimsical too. You know, there's a, a lot of stuff uh, with like uh, the bears playing and scratching, and um, you know the the some of the waterfowl in the in the water birds episodes and such. You know where they're uh, playing and running and things like that. You know, so the music is is appropriate and, and scored appropriately to you know the action that you're seeing in the in the films. But those are really great soundtracks I, I like those those again i play those quite often as well uh they're very relaxing as well i find yeah that that was one thing that i that i could definitely say is i mean like it or not the true life adventures will put you at ease because it's not it's not something that's going to it's not like you have like you're anticipating something happening like with a movie like old yeller which we just covered with a lady who actually loves that movie because I think her mom actually put it on for her every day. And I could only watch it twice. Once when I was growing up and once when I had to do the review of the movie. And it still breaks me up even just when I'm think talking about it right now. It's not but with the True Life Adventures you didn't have a you didn't have to worry about well when's this gonna happen that I know is gonna happen because I've seen the movie and XYZ, you know? Right. I, I'm quite a big fan of the True Life Adventures myself. I, I was really pleased to find that when my boys were very young, because um, much like the Walt Disney Treasures, right around the same time that those Walt Disney Treasures videos, or DVDs, I should say, were coming out, they had another uh, set of DVDs called Walt Disney Legacy Collection that were coming out, and they collected... Um, I believe it's all of them, the, hmm. the True Life Adventures in a series. I'm not sure how many there were. I have them all, but I forget how many there were. I want to say there were four volumes, I think. Um, but they collected them all um, on DVD. And uh, and I, you know, it was one of those things where I thought, you know, they're, they're either going to like this or they're going to be bored to tears. And my kids <laughs> love them. Um, uh, often, you know, when they were little, you know, I'd, I'd ask, you know, what do you want to watch? And they'd say, oh, put on the ducks or whatever, you know, put on the bears. And, you know, they were talking about these true life adventures. So we really enjoyed watching them. Uh, it's pretty amazing that, you know, they're 60 some years old. You know, some of them mm-hmm. are, you know, 50, 50 years old and, in a lot of ways they really hold up and they can, you know, entertain uh, a family audience, you know, even today. And I think that's a real testament to, again, to, you know, to Walt's genius and ingenuity, because I mean, for all intents and purposes, Walt Disney created the nature documentary. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's pretty amazing to think about today when you have things like, you know, animal planet or whatever, you know, entire channels devoted to nature videos that there was a time that there wasn't really such a thing. And Disney was the one that, kind of you know created what we think of today as is the nature documentary film that's pretty cool and uh yeah they really do hold up pretty well although yeah i agree with you some are some are definitely more interesting than others yeah but this is not the real life adventures recap show (laughs) (laughs) well it's funny that you mentioned that though because where i thought you were going with that was uh I just happened to be uh, at the portion of the film as we were talking where uh, it was showing the, the boat cruise through um, the, you know, the jungle cruise mm-hmm. and the jungle cruise, you know, in those earliest days w- was very closely and very much more heavily uh, inspired and, 
reminiscent of the the true life adventures because initially you know one of the names that was bandied about for adventureland was true life adventureland because hmm. again you know walt was trying to create that synergy uh you know between his films and the park and so the jungle cruise you know when you watch this film that's that's one of the things to take note of is that you know there's not the whimsy and the corny gags or, or the sight gags or any of that stuff that we identify today with the Jungle Cruise, it was done straight. It was done pretty much as a straight up, you know, adventure through, you know, a, a Jungle Cruise and mm-hmm. very much like a uh, like an episode or, or like one of the features of uh, the True Life Adventures. And it wasn't until, you know, much later that, uh, you know, in, in later uh, refurbishments and reimaginings that the, ad, you know, the jokes and the whimsy were added in there. You know, that that all came much later. But, you know, during this time, it was it was done very straight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm wrong more than I'm right with the with the Jungle Cruise, both in Disneyland and at Disney World. And I'm not talking animal. Those Jungle mm-hmm. Cruises are all animatronic. Um, let me think. Off the top of my head, yeah, I can't, you know, other than, you know, birds and, and things yeah. like that, I can't think of anything that's actually, yeah, not not off the top of my head, I can't think of anything that's actually alive. Yeah, everything is uh, is some form of, a, of an audio animatronic or, or you know, a mechanical thing. Which um, is, yeah. which is crazy to think that, though, now, when you went in 2016, was it the same as this? Because I think we got to see like seven eighths of the of the Jungle Cruise in this movie. <laughs> Jungle Cruise was one of those things that they really like to show off in these uh, in these early uh, Disneyland promotional things. You know, be at the TV show or or you know uh, something like this. Um, I, I think primarily because it was easy to show. It's all outside. Um, you know, it's fairly well lit. You'll notice in this that we never go into any attractions. I think the closest you get, um, and I'm talking dark rides, I think the closest you get is there's that uh, shot of the vehicles exiting Mr. Toad. We see like mm-hmm. three, four, five vehicles exiting Mr. Toad, and you can kind of sort of, see in just a little bit just to kind of get a glimpse of that final scene of, of hell um, in Mr. Toad. But that's it. Um, and in the commentary track, if you, if you ever get a chance to listen to it, the commentary with uh, Tony Baxter and uh, Leonard Malton, they actually comment on that. And it was Baxter's belief that it was because it was just, you know, the, the technology of film back during this time didn't really support you know, taking a camera mm-hmm. on a dark ride and, and getting any sort of really, I mean, if you've ever tried to film, you know, even with, you know, like a, a camera yourself or your phone or anything on a Disney dark ride or any, any parks dark <laughs> ride, you know, that's, you know, you, you don't usually get really decent results at all. So unless I you think, turn well, on the flash and then they stop the ride and tell you to turn right? on the flash. <laughs> right. Exactly. So I think that's one of the reasons that the Jungle Cruise was always featured so heavily in these things because it was easy to film. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, you know, that said, I'm always struck by how much of everything Walt would show on these old programs. Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to remember. 
I, I want to say it might be Disneyland around the seasons. I forget, but there's there's an episode of Disneyland where it's a small world had just come to Disneyland. And so we go on. It's a small world. And I swear to God, you could watch that episode and never experience small world live in your life. And you've pretty much done it. I mean, they don't miss anything in that episode. I mean, it's all there for you. And that doesn't really happen with anything Disney promotional these days. You know, if you see a scene of the latest ride, be it, you know, Flight of Passage or something from Galaxy's Edge or, or Star Tours or anything like that, you're seeing a clip. You know, you're seeing seconds of that. Mm-hmm. They don't do that anymore where they go in and they show you the entire ride. This is what you're going to experience. They just don't do that. You know, it's closely guarded. And, you know, there's all those spiels about, you know, no flash photography, (laughs) no videotaping, you know, all that stuff. They don't want that stuff out there in the public. But back during Walt's time, he was happy to show it to you. Um, I mean, you'd see the entire ride, yet still... People would travel, you know, from all across the face of the world to come to Disneyland to see something that they probably saw every bit of on television or in a movie. That's that's still pretty remarkable to me. (laughs) I get a kick out of that. He wasn't afraid of, of, you know, of showing it off. Well, and speaking of not being afraid of showing it off, one I'm we're, we're backtracking a little bit since you said that you're on the Jungle Cruise while it's playing in the background, which would have been great if we could have set up a. (laughs) Um, watch along with with Scott and Dan but when you are in Frontierland you said that Tom Sawyer's Island was one of your favorite parts of the absolutely yeah and absolutely that was actually that was another part that actually shocked with the actual size and scope because when you had a wagon a um, stagecoach actually driving through is driving the right term yeah we'll go with it driving through a <laughs> desert for for lack of a better term i mean it looked like that was going on for miles and miles and it probably wasn't more than speak and i'm speaking at a turn because i've never been there but it probably wasn't more than maybe a mile that you're actually riding on am i right well one of the one of the, absolutely and that's one of the ingenious things that carries on even today at Disneyland is how effectively every bit of space in that park is utilized. Mm-hmm. Um, if you really pay attention, because there's really, I mean, this film is chock full of beautiful aerial photography of mm-hmm. the park. I mean, I, I don't think there's a square inch that's not shown to you, including a lot of backstage areas. I was kind of surprised by that. That That's really neat. You can actually see like, you know, regular vehicles park backstage type of thing. That That's pretty neat. And that's again, that's something you don't typically see, especially these days in a Disney promotional film. But if you'll notice in a lot of that aerial photography, particularly in Frontierland, um, be it a trail or a train track or a waterway, there's a lot of backtracking. There's a lot of circling back upon yourself and, and you know creating these very serpentine trails because they were trying to maximize every inch of space in a very small environment. And that carries over to Disneyland today um, where things are very compact. They're very close together. Um, 
it's pretty remarkable to me that, you know, the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World is several times the size of Disneyland, you know, the original Magic Kingdom. Yet, even today, Disneyland has more attractions per capita uh, in that park than I think any other single park uh, between Disneyland and Walt Disney. I, I, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure I'm right on that. Uh, because they just they maximize that space and they jam stuff in so well. I, I think there's something like one and a half to two times as many attractions in Disneyland compared to Magic Kingdom. Something like that. And that that's pretty amazing when you think how much smaller Disneyland is compared to the Magic Kingdom. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's this blessing of size at Magic Kingdom, yet it's almost like they they don't take full advantage of it. But you know, there's a lot more. Um, vistas and a lot more, um, you know, just openness at Walt Disney World. It's it's not as cramped. Mm-hmm. Um, at Disneyland, really is. I mean, not. I wouldn't say un. I, at least I don't feel it's uncomfortably. So other uh, others may disagree. Others may feel it is too cramped, almost you know, almost claustrophobic. I don't think it is. Um, but it's just it's chock full is the way I like to look. It's just chock full of stuff. I mean, everywhere around every corner, there's there's something to see or do or experience, and and that's really cool to me. Um, and you can really see that with the photography in this, um, you know, how cleverly they have you know doubled back when it comes to paths and trails and waterways, and also just the construction of the park, how things are. And you don't notice it when you're there. You don't notice it, you know, as a guest when you're experiencing these, these things. But if you were to see it, you know, through like these aerial shots, you can see where often things are just jammed right up against each other that you, you don't even realize it. Like Main Street, like immediately right behind like City Hall and the fire station on Main Street is the Jungle Cruise. It's right on the other side of those buildings. Hmm. But you don't know that when you're in Main Street and you don't know that when you're on the Jungle Cruise, but you see it in the aerial photography and you're like, holy cow, look at, I mean, they're right on top of each other. It's pretty cool. So yeah, they, they have always done that, you know, maximizing their available space as much as, much as possible because they had to, because those 200 and some acres, that's all they had, man. You know, they, they couldn't expand. They, they couldn't grow larger. Well, now when, when you're saying that right behind the fire station is the Jungle Cruise, do you have overlap? Like you hear nature calls, or is it is it like the sound dampening that you have in Tom Sawyer's Island, where you're right up next to a interstate and you can't hear? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, hmm. the the berm around Disneyland, um, well, around Disneyland, and then you know again like uh, Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World, that that berm around the park really helps. Uh, you know, with the sound dampening and everything. So, you know, Walt was a big believer not only in not having visual intrusions that would mm-hmm. take away the the version of the experience, but also, uh, to me, as uh, you know, as a as a music, you know, as a as a film score enthusiast, one of the things I've always considered a real magic trick of Disney that does not get near enough uh, attention or, or near enough accolades is how they use not just music, but but sound and music uh, in such wonderful ways to where rather than be like a cacophony of sound or or an overlap, as you say, 
I've never experienced that personally anywhere in a Disney park. And that's pretty amazing when you think about how close, especially again, like in Disneyland, how close some of these things are to each other Mm -hmm. to where you don't get competition of sound. Um, instead what you get is a wonderful blend, um, where often as you're leaving one area that has a certain theme and approaching another area that has a different theme, the music and the sound will transition just the same way it does visually. It will also do that audially. Hmm. And that's pretty cool how they can do that. I have no idea how they do it, but they do. And I, I really started to take note of that for the first time uh, prior to moving to Florida. We actually lived in the Atlanta area and we had a Six Flags park near us that we used to I'm go sorry. to until – <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I became sorry too. You know, we we liked it until we became Disney enthusiasts, and then we found we couldn't go back again. Um, and one of the big reasons we couldn't go back is I started to notice that they didn't do that audio trick. They for somehow they they just didn't. I don't know if they never tried or they just couldn't get the hang of it or whatever. But often you would get that bleed over or sometimes just a full out cacophony of sound to where you'd stand in one area and you could hear the the sounds or the soundtracks or the music of like three, four, five other competing things that didn't blend at all. And so it just becomes noise. And I've never, to my recollection, I've never experienced that at Disney. I've never had that bleed. I've never had that that noise. Everything flows very, very well. Um, one of the best examples I, I ever give to people, um, you know, when I'm, you know, especially like when I take friends, you know, to Disney, like for their first time or if they haven't been in a long time and they're asking for you know little tips, you know, tips and tricks and fun facts and things. One of the things I always like to point out is when you're going from, say, Liberty Square into Fantasyland. So right by the, um, the um, oh gosh, I don't know why my brain's not firing tonight, but there's a, there's a uh, Columbia Harbor House, that's it, Columbia Harbor House, which is a restaurant on your right, and then the Memento Mori, the Haunted Mansion gift shop on your left, there's, there's this upstairs area of the restaurant that goes overhead. So basically you're passing under an overpass as you leave Liberty Square and as you enter into Fantasyland. And when you go through that that short little overhead, when you emerge on the other side, everything has changed. Not only has the theme changed, your your audio has completely changed in just that short little distance. And there is no bleed in there. So when you're on one side, you've got Fantasyland and all its accompanying sounds and music. When you're on the other side, you have Liberty Square and all its accompanying sounds and music. And the two do not cross over with each other. I have no idea how they pull that off, but it's amazing. And, and, it, and it just brings a smile to my face every time because that's how music and, and sound should be used. And they do it wonderfully. It's It's like being in a movie. It's like transitions in a, in a film and they're doing it, you know, real life. So again, you know, that immersion we talked about before, 
you know, it's not a new concept that, you know, Disney has been doing this for, you know, for 60 some years in their parks. And in this instance with sound and a lot of people don't even consciously realize that it's happening. That that's cool. I love stuff like that. Well, speaking as someone who still lives an hour from Atlanta, I know about Six Flags. And now that you've mentioned it, I recall that the the bleed through and right. it and it and it will never be the same for me now that you've mentioned it so thank you <laughs> you're and, welcome and, and i mean i went to college as a communications major did print and electronic journalism studied how to do radio which ultimately led to the podcast because you just can't make money in radio tv or print which who even knows what print is anymore Right. So I wanted to explore actually using my college degree for something, and that's why I started this podcast a little over a year ago. Well, probably like 14 months ago, but then COVID happened, and the whole world shut down for two months, and the show shut. Down. But, but yeah, with and and now now that you're talking about it, I I see I've heard the bleed through, and I guess it never struck me that that was what was going on. But I, it's like you said, you don't hear it in Disney. It's like you would think they would patent something and maybe sell it to the world and make even more millions for for the <laughs> conglomerate. So that way everybody could have an experience like you have at Disney, unless that is the reason why they haven't done it. It's that way you get a one-of-a-kind experience. Absolutely. Now, since we are talking Frontierland, I know we're talking, we're, we're taking long, circuitous trips on that stagecoach the one thing that pulled me out of the movie itself was the shootout scene because you have a you have a full-sized guy jumping in and out of houses that are like three-quarter scale and i know that's (laughs) and i know that's a disney trick because they do it at disney world because right because they want to give you the illusion of height without having to build things high but right I mean that the fact that you had a guy getting shot in a building that's six inches shorter than he is kind of pulled me out of the movie for five seconds, and then we went over to Rainbow Ridge, and I was right back in it. One of the the things that that thre- and I, I I totally agree. I understand exactly what you're talking about because I, I cringe just just the tiniest bit at that portion of the film <laughs> as well. Um, um, and stand next to that building, and he's basically just as tall as the house he's standing next to. Yeah, it do, it destroys the. It's for, it's called force perspective. Yeah. And yeah, it, it does kind of destroy that illusion. There's another shot later in the film where um, a gardener is uh, spraying some water in uh, the storybook, storybook land. land, and yeah, that also destroys the illusion there as well. Um, but there, I mean, there it's a little more obvious that, you know, you're looking at something that is in miniature as opposed to this building um, in Rainbow Ridge that you'd probably never realize until someone stood next to it uh, that you were looking at something that is forced perspective. Um, yeah, typically you don't get that. And, and these days, Disney is much, much, much more... Uh, conscious and guarded about things like that. Um, you know, for example, I, I remember, you know, some time ago, um, the, 
Beast Castle at Walt Disney World, um, seeing that when it was being constructed and everything, and how guarded uh, Disney was to make sure that guests didn't see uh, the workers as they were working on it and constructing it and painting it and things. The fact that the workers standing up there were much taller than the, the castle because it's all forced perspective meant to be off in a distance. And you see it, you know, with it, nothing next to it. And the illusion is amazing. You know, it, mm -hmm. it completely works. And, you know, other parks do this well, you know, Universal with, with Hogwarts, for example, you know, all of that is forced perspective miniatures as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny to see that not only happen here at Disneyland, but, you know, here it is right in the film as well. So, yeah, it, it does kind of take you out a little bit. But I, I love this sequence because this is one of those things that I knew didn't exist anymore. You know, the, the stagecoach, the mule, you know, the pack mules, um, the uh, nature's wonderland, the rainbow uh, caverns, all of that is gone and i knew that going into you know going to disneyland so i was thrilled beyond words to get to disneyland and go on big thunder mountain and big thunder mountain stands primarily where uh this ride was or at least a good portion of it was rainbow ridge the town was preserved and so when you basically come pulling into <clears throat> pardon me, pulling into the, the stop at the end of Big Thunder Mountain, you're pulling into the town of Rainbow Ridge, and it's hmm. still there. It's it's the same buildings and everything. I mean, I, I think they've gotten a fresh coat of paint, um, but it is that classic town. So it's, it's one of those things where the, the park tries very hard to hold on to its history. So even though things change, you can usually find some small piece, some small nod um, to what was there previously. And, and I love that. Um, I, I think that's a wonderful tradition that, that Disney has, not not just at Disneyland itself, uh, but especially at Disneyland. And I love that Rainbow Ridge is still there. Now, when you were talking about Storybook Land, that and I mean, once again, I'm a novice, so bear with me. I didn't know that you would actually have the pig's houses, Mr. Toad's house, especially Cinderella's castle. Because, and I mean, I know it's forced perspective, but wouldn't you have that actually in, shouldn't that actually be a part of fantasy and make them into rides? Or was it a matter of not having the space to actually build the full scale? It, it probably the latter, yeah. Probably just, yeah. I mean, they only have so much space, and and here was a way to touch on a lot of Disney properties in one attraction. You know, so you're going through, um, you know, Storybook Land on a, on a you know slow moving boat ride, and you're you're going through a lot of Disney lands, you know, Disney properties in a in a relatively you know short amount of time. Mm -hmm. So. You know, you've got Pinocchio's Village and, um, you know, Toad's Mansion and all these other things. And they've added to that over the years, too. Hmm. You know, there's there's newer ones today uh, for some of the newer Disney properties like Agrabah and uh, I think Beast Castle is in there somewhere. And, you know, so some of the newer ones uh, have been put in there as well. I, I think there's even a, a Little Mermaid, you know, like Eric's Castle, I think. Mm -hmm. 
it's charming. It, it's it's kind of a strange one because, you know, I've done it. Um, it's not exactly a thrill ride, <laughs> but it's charming. It's cute, but it, it's also one of those ones. I frankly, I am kind of surprised that's still there after all these years. I mean, that's that's an original attraction. I mean, again, it's been updated. Mm-hmm. Uh, things have been added, but uh, but I mean, that's. I can't imagine that's a small piece of real estate, you know, relatively speaking, you know, for Disneyland. So the fact that it still exists after all these years and hasn't become something else, you know, that that would be potentially more thrilling or or have a higher, uh, you know, capacity or something like that. that, That's a little surprising. But I like that sort of thing as well. And, you know, not everything has to be a roller coaster. You know, not everything has to be, you know, the, the thing that's going to be just a, a complete, you know, people muncher and, you know, have the highest capacity. I, I think when you start thinking that way, I think it's a little dangerous because then you lose some of the, the more charming things that, that people latch on to because they are uh, – they feel like hidden gems, you know, what Probably the the biggest example I could give is uh, if you ever did the Maelstrom uh, in Epcot, in Norway mm-hmm. at Epcot. Yeah. I love that ride. And one of the things I really liked about that was it was just, it was short, it was cute, it was charming, and there was hardly ever a wait for it. And now it's frozen. And I think I've been on it once. And that's because the waits are typically hours and hours and hours long. Uh, for a ride that's not half as good as it used to be, and that's that's a shame. So you know, not everything has to be, um, you know, this this great big thing. Sometimes the the charming ones, you know, the charming attractions are, you know, there's some there's something to be said about those as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've actually I've been to Epcot more than I've been to Disney. It's it's so much <laughs> fun to actually just walk around and walk from one country to another without ever leaving florida right you can get drunk in just about every country over there now in one form fashion or and i just wonder how many people have to be carted out at the end of the night (laughs) there's actually something in this film towards the end that um for a lot of years has been at walt disney world and for a lot of years was on display and i'm really hoping it comes back at some point last i knew um it, it still hadn't made its way back out on stage yet, but hopefully soon. So um, let me see if I can give you a timestamp here because I've got the video playing in front of me if I can zip to it. Uh, but it's during the parade sequence of the film um, when they get to the circus portion of the film uh, where they have you know the actual like circus. They have the elephants and such. Uh, there's a blink and you miss it. Let's see here. I'm looking at – is this it here? Yeah, that's it. So I'm looking at the 39-minute, 39-second mark, 39-39. And it's real short. Again, it's a blink and you miss it. But you get a nice shot there of the Dragon Calliope. Now, the Dragon Calliope was part of some actual uh, circus vehicles that Waltz purchased he personally purchased these and and the story i've heard is that he personally purchased them and actually hands-on helped restore some of them including the dragon calliope to to working condition and he did that uh, because he wanted to have an actual circus at disneyland Hmm. Uh, it's one of the very few post disneyland opening ideas that walt ever had that was a big flop um 
most of his ideas after Disneyland panned out and, and were, you know, were, were good ideas that, you know, that were kind of ahead of their time. But the circus thing never really panned out for him. He, he'd been warned by a lot of people, you know, his, his closest uh, confidants and such that, Walt, this, this just isn't a good idea. But he was hard to say no to and he was hard to deter. And he went ahead with this idea. And, of course, the circus at Disneyland was a big old flop. And it didn't last very long. And it kind of broke his heart. So after they did away with the circus, Walt kept a number of the pieces uh, from the circus train that he'd acquired, one of them being the Dragon Calliope. And they used that Dragon Calliope for years in Disneyland parades until eventually sometime, I believe it was early 80s, um, it made its way out to Walt Disney World, where it appeared in parades at the Magic Kingdom for years. Uh, until eventually it was retired and it went to live at the um, uh, at the barn. It was one of the horse barns out at uh, the um, Fort Wilderness Resort and Campground at Walt Disney World, and you could see it on display there for years. Up until just recently, it's about a year or so ago um, when they closed down uh, the horse barn to make way for construction that they were going to be doing. They're building a new resort out there, out where River Country Water Park used to be. And so they closed down the horse barn, and I think they've since knocked down the old horse barn, and they were doing some some construction. It's been a while since I've been out there. But my understanding was eventually when the new horse barn would open and everything, that there would be uh, a new permanent display area for the Dragon Calliope. Um, last I knew it has not come back out yet, but it's one of those things to, you know, to keep an eye out for in the future that hopefully it would come back. Cause again, you know, as we were saying last episode, there's, there's not a whole lot of, you know, direct living Walt connections, you know, between mm-hmm. Walt Disney, the, the man and Walt Disney world, since he didn't live to, you know, to, to see it. Um, but there are some, you know, like the carousel of progress, um, the Dragon Calliope is a great one, and so I'm, I'm hoping you know eventually it'll it'll come back out you know to where guests can appreciate it and everything because it, it's beautiful. Uh, it's been fully restored and everything, and uh, it, it's pretty neat to see it in real life. But as I say, you know, you, you get a glimpse of it here, but it's just a, a great piece of Disney history, and I'm glad that it still exists. Well, I am actually glad that you pointed that out because I I put down there was a parade and just moved on, so I I had no clue that there was. <laughs> history in that and right after the parade since we are coming to the very end of the of the movie where i'm at sitting at 40 minutes and i know you're probably past that because you probably just let it play on in the background and i i'm right at 40 right now i'm at the flag retreat is that okay is that what you were yes. gonna... is that something that they still do and is it at 5 p.m or what what time do they actually do that? Because after they took the flag down, it's like Disneyland just kept on moving until it was nighttime. Let's see if I still have... Yeah, look at this. I still have it. I had a list of notes on my phone from when we were out there the last time of things that I absolutely wanted to do um, You know that visit. And top of my list was the Main Street Flag Retreat Ceremony. So according to the note I have here, the flag retreat was at 5.30, or excuse me, 4.30, 4.30 in the afternoon. Um, and I did it. 
and it was wonderful. And one of the things I I really liked about it was um, they ask um, for anyone that uh, is a veteran of the armed services. They they call them by the service uh, to come up and stand. Essentially, if, if you pause the movie, I have it paused at the moment at the 40 minute, 22 second mark where you see the band and the security around the flagpole, mm-hmm. they do it very much like that. Security will come out and uh, they will lower the flag and there's a little ceremony and everything. Um, but all gathered around like the people in, are in this movie, you'll have uh, the, the four or is it five? I'm trying to remember if they include, if they actually separately call out the, uh, the Coast Guard, I can't remember. Um, but you know, the army, air force, Marines, uh, they'll call them out, you know, if there's any veterans that wish to come up. And uh, as a veteran uh, and just, you know, as a patriot, you know, as mm-hmm. as a proud American, that was very moving for me. Um, I'm not ashamed to say that, you know, I stood there saluting and tears streaming down my face. That that was that was magical. I, I really, really appreciated the fact that they still do that. Um, you know, Walt. uh you know, was an incredible patriot. You know, he loved America. Um, there's a wonderful tribute to that uh, in Gene Shepard's uh, spiel at the beginning of uh, Carousel of Progress, you know, where he talks about Walt's love for America. You know, and it's part of the plaque, you know, the dedication uh, plaque and, you know, the words that were spoken by Walt when he opened Disneyland, uh, you know, that it's a testament to America. And I love that. I love that those elements are so prevalent, not only in this movie, but even still today, you know, they're prevalent in the park Mm. that that patriotism love for America is still celebrated because that meant a lot to Walt, you know, that celebration of America and and patriotism. So, yeah, that's that ceremony still happens every day. And it's beautiful to uh, to behold. It's it's really something, you know, every everything in. Main Street Square just kind of stops. You know, they play the national anthem and, uh, you know, everyone stops to, you know, salute or put their hand over their heart or, you know, take their hat off. And it's, it, it, was, it was really moving. It was really something. And after the flag ceremony, they zoom in to the plaque. And is that the plaque that you were talking about just now? Yeah. Yeah. That's, okay. uh, that's the plaque. And if I remember my history properly, I want to say, that uh, Hibbler, who reads it, uh, you know, during the narration of the film, I think Hibbler also wrote this, if I'm hmm. not mistaken. Um, you know, but it's it's become a you know a very famous uh, you know piece of Disney history. You know, the, the the quote, you know, a lot of people know it verbatim. You know, the to all who come to this happy place, welcome. You know, Disneyland is your land. That that whole pla- that plaque is still there. Uh, you know, in front of the flagpole, and it has the complete speech that Walt read uh, at the opening uh, in in '55 on Main Street. Now, I love the transition here um, to the night scenes because if you pay attention to this, uh, this is actually all a special effect. This is actually uh, what they call a day for night filter, um, where they're faking it. Um, so this is not actual nighttime photography uh, and the nighttime sequence at the end of the film. Um, this is actually shot during the day and then uh, using a combination of filters and special effects to make it look like it's like it's nighttime at Disneyland. Hmm. And then that's pretty much the end of the film. Now, I want to ask you, I have it paused right here at 41 minutes, 
33 seconds. It's just about the end of the film. It's just a beautiful night shot or fake night shot <laughs> of uh, of uh, the castle. Now, what what's missing? We we get all this night photography or you know again fake night photography. We get the shot of the castle and then the movie ends. What's missing? Hold on, let me get it back up. It, it's it's one of those things that you probably never really even consciously thought about, but there's a big piece of Disney that's completely missing at the end of this film. So if you go to a Disney park at night, any any Disney park with the exception of say Animal Kingdom, at night fireworks when it's fireworks, there are no fireworks in this film, hmm. and the reason for that is they hadn't stumbled upon it yet. It was uh, it was an idea that uh, that was still in the future to have fireworks in the evening uh, at Disneyland. As amazing as that is to think about, because that's become such a quintessential part of you know the the Disney experience. You know, going to Disneyland or going to the Magic Kingdom or, or again most any other Disney park. That's that's a huge part of the experience is those nighttime fireworks. So. Um, you know, while some folks could probably watch this film and, and never even realize that every time I watch this, I can't help but chuckle just a little <laughs> bit at the end of it, that it just kind of closes out and there's no fun, not even fake fireworks, like special effects fireworks. There's just none. It just kind of like, well, that's our day at Disneyland. We're done. And there's nothing at the end. That's it's just really funny. But yeah, it would it would be a while yet. I, I'm trying to remember what year I heard that that started up and I don't remember exactly. I think by the time of like Disneyland 59 I think there's fireworks at the end of that episode I think so I don't think it was very much you know very far in the future but it was it was definitely in the future of of when this uh was filmed and and produced well since you mentioned Disneyland 59 I will be having you back on to talk about that <laughs> I would love to I, I love that film as well there's there's some great great uh history uh with that film uh, especially the monorail stuff I, I'm that's that's the portion of it I'm, I'm probably most taken with because that was my my very first gig with Disney was a, was a monorail pilot so there's a, there's some really cool stuff with that. Um, I would encourage anybody you know yes you can watch this on YouTube and it's it's really good quality I mean there's there's nothing wrong with the quality of it, um, it it's really good but I mean if you're really you know if you love the film or if you fall in love with the film or you just, you know, you're curious to, to know more about it or, or, you know, especially, uh, you know, to get a hold of that, uh, commentary track, um, the DVD, the, the Disney treasures, uh, again, it's called, uh, Disneyland secret stories and magic. That two disc set is awesome. I mean, there's some really great stuff on there. In addition to this film, it's not inexpensive cause you've got to buy it, you know, through the, the, uh, you know, the secondary market because they don't produce it anymore. So it's not cheap, but I, to me, I think it's worth every penny. Uh, it's one of the best uh, Disney uh, video things in my collection. I, I love it, and I, I rewatch it pretty often. Uh, there's some really good stuff on there. So Disney it put re- that I, back in the vault, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny, most of that stuff that was produced for the treasures um, – has gone back in the vault. Hmm. Um, You know, I'm, I'm shocked, frankly, that this Disneyland USA is not on Disney plus. I I really, I really don't see a reason why it's not. 
Um, I know that they're very sensitive about certain, you know, political things these days and all of that. Um, I'm, I, I hope and pray that the reason that it's not is not because of the Indian village sequence in this. Cause, um, I remember seeing something a while back, um, somebody saying, Ooh, they'd never get away with that today. I object. Um, because it's not done as a caricature. It's not done, uh, politically incorrectly. I mean, these were actual, uh, Indian participants. They were actual Indian tribes, many different mm-hmm. tribes that were personally invited to Disneyland to come there and present and showcase and celebrate their culture their way. So it wasn't a put on, um, and it wasn't done, um, you know, without their input or, or done, you know, disrespectively or anything, it was done very much respecting, uh, their culture and their customs and everything. And, uh, I, I think it's really neat to be able to see, uh, you know, a, a lost piece of, of Disney history that, you know, that is gone now. Cause that, where that is now is, I think that's where Haunted Mansion sits now, I hmm. think, or, you know, in, in that same general area. It's like, um, Haunted Mansion and um, uh, you know New Orleans Square, uh, all in that that general area where uh, the Indian Village was back then. Hmm. Well, I mean, with the way that Disney is handling quote unquote sensitive material, they could just slap a warning up like they've done on all these other movies. So that way, right? I mean, it's not. I mean, with the lone exception being Song of the South, which I don't think we'll ever be on Disney just because it's right. and when Icky and I actually covered that we I mean we saw why it's not on there but it's also something that has spawned so much of actual Disney to the point where they're actually taking it out of Disney World. So right. I mean I I don't see why you couldn't put it on there and put your little disclaimer and if you don't want to watch it don't watch it. That that's the that's the way I feel. You don't. It's not like somebody's pulling a um, Clockwork Orange on you and sitting and strapping right. your eyes open to make you watch things. Right. Yeah. The real shame of Song of the South to me is that it, it's a lot of the reason that it's uh, that they're handling it the way that they are. And I understand to a certain degree why they are. Is that it, it, it's going to take much more. Um, time and effort and everything to properly educate folks on it than it would to just go, okay, and just put it away. Uh, I, I think it's just for expediency's sake, it's just easier to capitulate rather than try to educate um, on that particular film because it's not, um, by and large, it's not what it's being made out to be, which mm-hmm. which is a shame, but yeah it's it's problematic so you know <laughs> it's it's easier to just go okay and just put it, Sleep in it under the rug all right well once again this is another supersized episode which i kind of figured with you because <laughs> i knew <laughs> i knew this this movie was near and dear, dear to your heart just because when i took the screenshot of it you're like i love this movie I think we've talked about it for twice as long as the film actually is. <laughs> yeah, we're we're coming we're coming up on an hour and a half of of recording time. So, yeah, basically double the movie. Is there anything that you would like to add that we have left out of 
this extended episode? Uh, I was just looking over my notes to see if I covered everything, and, uh, and I, I think I, I think I pretty much hit on everything. Um, <laughs> I, I absolutely love this film. The, the only other thing I could add is if there's anybody uh, you know with any poll with Disney uh, that happens to listen to this, uh, this movie desperately needs a Blu-ray slash 4K re-release of some kind, and. From what I'm seeing on the DVD, it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of uh, you know cleanup that really needs to be done with it. I mean, it looks really crisp and everything. It just you know it, it needs that sharpening, uh, you know, to support a, a blue Blu-ray or uh, or 4K. But I, I'd love to see it uh, out there, or you know, just again digitally on uh, on Disney Plus would be wonderful. But uh, yeah, it, it's just it's one of those films that that it deserves to be seen it's it's beautiful it's uh it's just a classic uh piece of disneyland well scott thank you for talking to me for an hour and a half (laughs) (laughs) which from from what i'm gathering you could definitely go for three hours on this because i i think we've dried out your throat (laughs) in the course of this Well, you know, after we talked uh, and we decided we were going to cover this episode, I I don't know if you saw it or not. um, I actually bought the uh, movie poster for it, and uh, and now I've got it framed and hanging up in my Hmm. in my movie room. So I actually have the the Disney Disneyland USA uh, movie poster, and uh, and I love it. It's great. Well, this this is slowly getting to be my favorite segment is covering Disneyland's hidden gems because I, I know we're going to come back for Disneyland 59. We're going to come back for Disneyland through the seasons. And well, I know I that mean, you're, you're more familiar with Walt Disney world. So, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be just the Disneyland guy. That makes me nervous only in the aspect of, yes, I'm passionate about it. Yes. I feel like I know a lot about it. However, having only ever been there two times, you know, there are people that, you know, have been going to Disneyland, you know, uh, regularly for, you know, 50, 60 years. So <laughs> some of you, some of you, if you have some of those listeners, they, they might think I'm laughable. So uh, I'm much more um, familiar and knowledgeable and such with, with Walt Disney World. Now, there's some uh, there's some great early uh, Walt Disney World uh, movies that would be that'd be interesting to take a look at too. you know, some of the early promotional stuff, uh, you know, when, when Walt Disney world first opened and everything that, that you might really get a kick out of if you've never seen some of those. Um, there's one called, uh, the magic of Walt Disney world, which is just, it's just a wonderful promotional. It's much like this, honestly, it, it, it lacks the, it lacks the scope, you know, cause it's not shot in cinema scope or anything. So it kind of lacks that, that grandeur of the wide shot. But it's very similar, um, you know, in, in the way it's narrated and in, in, in kind of the story it tells. Uh, if you've never seen that, that might be worth uh, covering at some point. That's that's a really good, uh, one of the best, honestly, um, early promotional films for Walt Disney World. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now on YouTube because I don't think it's on the Disney Plus. Oh, no. No, it's not. But Which yeah, is a shame. That's definitely a that would definitely be something that will that we'll get into because we're almost up to 1960 in our movies. Oh, okay. We've been, yeah. we've been going for well, this will be episode 54, and with the exception of the cover, the mini coverage of WandaVision and uh, the Muppets, which 
I don't know if they're going to put out a second a second season of Muppets now. Honestly, after watching it, I could take it or leave it. And this is a diehard Muppets fan, but it's I mean I we're we're slowly making our way through the Disney archive, so there will be there will definitely be room for Disney World stuff too. I just know that where we are in the timeline, there is only a Disneyland, which is why I'm cool. Running with this. <laughs> but, Scott, like I said, I, I can't say it enough. Thank you for coming on. I know we just did it last week, but give people where they can find you if they want to hear you talk for hours again. And hours. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Um, you can find me uh, primarily uh, these days. I'm primarily on the Back to the Bins podcast, which is a comic book related show that is on the Two True Freaks network. So if you go to uh, Two True Freaks, which is uh, T W O T R U E F R E A K S dot com, um, go to the uh, Back to the Bins section. Uh, you can find me. I'm on there fairly regularly these days. Or you know, you can just search Back to the Bins. Uh, you know, and whatever your your pod feeder is, whatever you listen to podcasts on. Uh, our website is uh, under revision right now, so it's a little clunky and a little awkward right at the moment. But uh, it, it is being addressed. It is being worked on. We're just kind of we're trying to spruce it up a little bit. It's been a number of years since it's gotten a major overhaul, so that is a work in progress right now. But yeah, if you search us uh, back to the bins, it pretty much uh, you know wherever you listen to podcasts, you'll you'll pull us up, and uh, we just cover random. Uh, Random back issues of uh, of comic books, you know, Marvel, DC, Independence, uh, whatever. Um, and every once in a while, I'll, I'll sprinkle in some Disney talk in those as well. So. <laughs> yeah, and I and I think that's actually how I found out that you were such a Disney fanatic was because I've <laughs> I've worked my way through I think four hundred and sixty some episodes. Holy cow! That's way yeah. too much me right there. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, you aren't on all of them. So, but that—that's that's another story for another day. Well, if you've never heard it, um, one that I would definitely recommend, just because it relates to this show. I, I couldn't tell you what year it was. It was—it was been a number of years ago. But if you go back through uh, our Christmas episodes, I, I, I'm guessing it's probably been five, six years ago now, um, maybe longer. Uh, one of our Christmas episodes, I covered um, Christmas at Disneyland, and it was a hoot because it was cute. It was charming, but um, Santa Claus also uh, was a complete scofflaw and broke a number of, uh, of just a number of uh, flagrant uh, violations of the law in essentially kidnapping two children and breaking into <laughs> Disneyland for the evening. So yeah, that one's a lot of fun to listen to if you ever get a chance. Uh, and a lot of, and a lot of fun classic uh, Disneyland talk in that one as well. But yeah. All right. Well, with that, we are going to say goodnight because both of us probably have to get up way too early in the morning. <laughs> yes. So, until we see you again, stay hungry, stay safe, and stay off the teacups. <laughs> Night, everybody. Thank you for listening. You can send us feedback at BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. We welcome any kind of feedback, and it might get read on the air in a future podcast. 
Once again, the email address is BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. If you have a moment, please rate and review our podcast on whatever streaming service you are listening to us on. This and word of mouth are the two ways to help us reach a larger audience. Thank you in advance for doing this. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day. Goodbye. At the base of the flagpole, there's a plaque which sets forth in letters of bronze the purpose for which Disneyland was created and dedicated. To all who come to this happy place, welcome. Disneyland is your land. Here, age relives fond memories of the past, and here youth may savor the challenge and promise of the future. Disneyland is dedicated to the ideals, the dreams, and the hard facts that have created America, with the hope that it will be a source of joy and inspiration to all the world.